Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Pastor Larry Davis. As uh, <clears throat> he looks over the lighters and past the candy rack, he sees the big truck with the big knobby wheels pulling in to pump three. The two in the back hop out real quick and go check on the four-wheeler and the motorcycle and the trail. The other two come inside for a few things, a snack, some drinks. And as they're inside, the shorter one looks at him, him with his striped shirt, blue shirt on, with his embroidered name tag. It says, Craig. He says, uh, hey, Craig, what happened to the nachos you guys used to have here? And Craig answered like he's done thousands of times in the last seven months and said, yeah, Pops wanted to get rid of them, a big mess, chips and cheese was everywhere. I'm sorry about that, bud. He says, no worries, Craig. I mean, I guess it means less work for you. So he makes change and sends them on his way. He didn't know the heart that that fell on that day. It's a busy day. He's constantly watching pumps, shelves, pumps, shelves. See, pops has always taught him. You got to keep one eye on the pumps, one eye on the shelves. One eye on the pumps, one eye on the shelves. It's a Friday. It's early and the, the city rush is just ready to come, it's getting ready to get started uh, as people are heading to the high desert. About two hours have passed by, and he sees a van pull up, and a smirk comes across his face, because those are his buddies. The door's flying out. He knows what's coming. He's excited to hear what new adventures they're on. He hasn't seen him in a long time. Two of them, they let him in his jackets, running out, and Bobby, with his old crusty Stanford hat, flies through the door. Be-doo, dude, did you see how we just stomped Oregon this last Thursday? It was legit. So he comes in, he's like, all oh, ready to hear it. And he's like, what are you guys up to now? He's like, oh, Craig, man, we're going to Vegas. What? Yeah, we're going to Vegas. We got some fake IDs and stuff like that. We're going to like over four days, it's going to be off the hook. Shut up. Yeah, dude, you got to come. He tells him what he's all, I had to tell him every time. Sorry, guys, I'm not going to be able to go. I got to stay in work. Pops wants me to be at the shop. All right, man. Bobby walks by Craig and... Gives him a little flick on that Craig embroidered name tag on his shirt, and it starts to change. See, the minimum wage guys that are there just have regular pin-on name tags, but Craig and his older brother Kyle, theirs is embroidered on. Because see, this is the family business. This is all he's ever known, all he's ever done since he was a little kid. As his friends and Bobby walks back up with their chips and their sodas and their snacks to the road, you sure, man? You sure you don't want to go? And it's changed. You know what? I'm going to go. What? Yeah, I'm going to quit. Shut up. Yeah, I'm not kidding. No way. Guys, take this stuff. It's on me. Go get in the car. I'll meet you out there. So they go run outside ready to finish filling up their van, leave the sliding glass door open. And Craig begins to walk away from the register. Everything that they've been building for years. Since he was nine years old and could just push a broom down the aisle. Since he was old enough to stock the shelves. Since he was old enough to go and fill the squeegee containers at every stall. Everything has been building that they've been working for. And he wants more. He's done. He walks away from that register and goes to that door, you know, the one that says employees only. Goes around the corner to the right is the storage closet. He pops it open, the one where you got to reach around and find the little chain to pull the light. 
He unbuttons his shirt, wads it up, and throws it in the corner and hits his sneeze. And jeans and a t-shirt begins to slide the antifreeze out of the way. And the box of paper towels, the extra ones in the cardboard box, he moves off to the side, begins to lift off that piece of drywall. Shaking a little bit. Three to the right, 42. One to the left, 19. Two to the right, six. As he clinks that door open, he empties out that paper towel cardboard box and begins to scoop it all in. See, dad doesn't believe in the man. That's what he calls everything. So he likes to keep the family business, well, right there in the family safe. Everything they have. Craig begins to scoop it into this box. As he picks that box up and turns around, he's met by the overshadowing in the doorway of his older brother, Kyle who's been there just long enough to figure out what's going on. He says, what do you think you're doing, punk? As he sits there, ready to confront his brother, Kyle's over it. He's done with this. And he gets ready to raise a fist to drop it down on him, and then a bigger hand comes through the door and catches that fist. It's Pops. He's come 30 minutes early to work. It's not good. Very slowly and methodically, Pops looks at Craig and says, what's in that head of yours, boy? Kyle is like furious right now, trying to get at him. So Pops has to pin Kyle up against the wall, and Craig sits there just shaking, can barely even hold onto the box. He's standing there in his T-shirt and his jeans, and it's building. Everything is going to come out. I'm tired of this. I've been working so hard for you my whole life. Haven't done anything. Haven't been on dates. Haven't been able to go to hang out with my friends. I get to, I'd have to work on the holidays. I'm after school all the time. My whole life. I hate it. I want more. I want something else. There's better for me. I wish you were dead. In fact, one day you will be dead and half of it's mine anyways. So to both of their surprise, as Pops is holding Kyle against the wall, he steps aside so is that what you want to do? Go. He wants to run, but his legs won't move. Kyle wants to pounce on him, but he doesn't know what to do right now with that holding him back. And slowly he begins to skirt himself with his back up against the wall, past them both. Runs through there, busts through the doors, goes and hops in the van, throws his box down. No way, dude. I saw your pops coming, man. I thought you were going to be busted. How'd you get the weekend off? This is going to be awesome. It's like, let's go. Man, when do you got to be back? I quit. What? I quit. I'm done. I'm out. Oh, no way. He opens up the box. Shut up. Are we going to get pulled over? Are we going to get in trouble? No, you saw. Pops gave it to me. No way. High fives, we need to go, you know how much trouble five teenage boys, over teenage boys can get in with a box of cash in Vegas? Use your imagination. It's going to be epic. It's going to be crazy. And the lens of Scripture has taken us through into this moment as we enter into Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Verse 11, Jesus continued. He's been sitting there talking to a group of people. He says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, 
The younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. In the Greek translation, that is living wildly. It was crazy. Are you satisfied? Are you wanting more? Are you satisfied? I want, we're going to do a little self-assessment uh, on your own satisfaction level. So on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm going to ask you some questions about how satisfied you are. And you can do that right there in your own little spot in your head. So just keep it to yourself. Are you satisfied on a scale of 1 to 10 with your job? Ask yourself that. Are you satisfied with your income? Are you satisfied with your marriage? Don't blink an eye. (laughs) Are you satisfied with your singleness, your home, your car? Are you satisfied with your pastor? Don't blink. (laughs) Are you satisfied with the overall condition and circumstances of your life right now? Let's get one to ten. Are you satisfied? See, it's tough because a lot of times it leads to more questions, bigger questions, like how satisfied should I be? How satisfied could I be? Is there more for me? Have I set the bar too high? Have I set the bar too low? So now we're going to turn to the middle of the Bible, where we're going to see the unedited musings of the smartest man of the 10th century BC, and his name is Solomon. And his raw and sometimes irreverent reflections on the subject of more and satisfaction. The books in the Old Testament on this subject matter and Solomon's thoughts on the matter is found in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's 12 chapters of bare-fisted, intellectual street fighting about what matters and what doesn't matter even a little bit. And about what satisfies, what will satisfy, and what will end up feeling like all you did with your life is chase the wind. So we're going to be in Ecclesiastes 1. We're going to start right from the beginning. Verses 1. And uh, we're going to hear from the wisest man on the earth. In the words of the teacher, he's the teacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. He's a cheery guy. (laughs) (laughs) To start out, he says, Go take a look outside. There's nothing new under the sun. Go look at everything that's happening around you. Look at the trees. Look at the rocks. Look at the ground. Look at the stars. Look at the moon. Look at the earth. In verse 4, generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. He says, hey, we're here for like a blip on the screen. Are we meaningless? What matters in this life when, think about it this way, the next time you're mowing your lawn and you're walking over top of it, think about how your grass will probably outlive you. So what's life about? These things stay here forever. They've been here for centuries and will continue to be. It says, okay, I need to find satisfaction in something. What's going to fill the void in my heart? So he begins a quest, and this is what we see in the book of Ecclesiastes from the smartest man on earth. He says, first I'm going to find satisfaction. Let's try it out in higher learning, higher education. He goes for PhD, MD, FYI, BTW that he can on either side of his name, all the letters, the numbers, anything that you can think of to figure this out. In verse 13, he says, I applied my mind to study, to explore 
by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. A chasing after the wind. He says it didn't pay off. I did all these things trying to learn and find answers through higher education, and it, it, did, it never filled me. I learned a lot. I gained a lot of wisdom and a lot of knowledge, but I didn't fill that void. I didn't get the answer I was looking for. I couldn't find it in higher education. I've met so many people who've done dissertation after dissertation and thesis and all sorts of education, and they're still just feeling lost. Like They just haven't figured it out. Like I haven't found that. And that's what Solomon did. Now, education is a very good thing. Go to school, stay in school. Not to say that education, it, wouldn't, it didn't work on my parents either. He says, hey, it's like chasing the wind. They're like, go to school. <laughs> but it's not going to fill the void that he was looking to fill. So next he changes his quest in Ecclesiastes 2 and says, now it's time to dive into the pools of heathenism. Let's really get after it. So I have to read this from the Bible because it's that good. I couldn't even make this stuff up. Ecclesiastes 2, so verse 3, he says, First I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing fully. Does anybody know how much wine it takes to fill the deepest crevices in your heart? A lot. You can't. It's too much wine. In fact, many have tried. Many will continue to try. And that's why we have fantastic recovery programs here to help those who are trying to fill that void through that. I'm not kidding, serious note. We have people that will help because you can't. I've tried. I've tried cheering myself with wine and embracing fully. How much wine do you have to drink to fill the inner recesses? You can't. So after booze, now he says, this isn't working. So after the worst hangover ever, he says, I'm going to try something else. I'm going to try material acquisition. Let's try to just get stuff. So he says in verse 4, I took great projects. I built houses, plural, not singular, houses. I built a lot of them built many houses for myself, and I planted vineyards for more wine. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. Hey, I had lots of houses. I wasn't going to do chores. I bought many people to go ahead and do the day-to-day chores and take care of everything for me. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. That was like... That was like how you knew who was who. It wasn't about how many cars, what kind of car you had, or your crib, or any of that kind of stuff. It was how, many, how big was your herd. People walk by, and they see like a big old giant herd, and you're like, wow, they're what's up. That's how they rolled back then. <laughs> so he said, I had more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. Of course, I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers. This one's the best. You know, most of us save a lot of money up to go to a concert, you know, occasionally, he just bought them. <laughs> says, I'm going to buy the band. They can go out by my reservoir and we can have a big show and I can hang out in my tree garden. I acquired male and female singers and a harem. I don't even know what to do with that one. I have one wife and it's hard enough to take care of. He had like over 700 and they all won at least one or two credit cards. It's just a mess. Anyways, he says, the delights of a man, how do you feel this? He said, I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. That's who, like, the paparazzi followed. Like, he was the man. If there was somebody that was, this was the guy. He was the most powerful. Everyone knew he was. He was greater than anyone. Verse 10, he denied this. Get this, right from the Bible. I mean, it doesn't get any better. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. 
Can you imagine? I refused my heart no pleasure. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. And nothing was gained under the sun. See, more and searching for more is like chasing the wind. It's a rabbit trail. It's a distraction. You're constantly reaching like this bigger. Something else will do it. Something else is going to fill this void that happens in my heart. See, Christianity is not fundamentally anti-material or uh, anti-pleasure in any way. In fact, God tells us in, in verse like 1 Timothy 6, 17, he gives us a lot of good to enjoy. When you're a part of his family and his community, his bounty is rich, and he wants you to enjoy that. But when we're consumed with it and we're distracted by it to fill this void, it becomes just like chasing the wind. The Bible is, however, brutally honest about what brings deep and lasting satisfaction to human hearts and souls and what is just never going to be enough to give you the things that you want it to give you. So he says, I'm going to do one last quest. I will find the perfect job. I'm going to go get the perfect job. It's the job I've always wanted. It's going to make me the most happy. After he found the perfect job in verse 17, This is fantastic. The first four words says, and so I hated life. (laughs) Because the work that I had done under the sun was so grievous to me. All of it is meaningless after chasing after the wind. I hated all things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to one who comes after me. And who knows whether the person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil in which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all the toils and labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and yet they must leave it all to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What the people get for all the toil and anxious striving in which they labor under the sun. All their days Their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This, too, is meaningless. So many people have worked so many years, invested 50, 60, 70 years of their life investing into something, chasing after more, building and building and building. And he's saying, the scary thing is, is what's going to happen to it when you're gone? Why? It's not going to fill. I figured this out. I can build this big thing, but it's not coming with me. It's just going to stay here, and it's going to be left behind. You know, we saw this even in our own culture here in America. Uh, You know, huge companies that got built, 85% of oil was owned by Standard Oil. Who would have imagined it wouldn't be around anymore? Or someone built into something for so long, and he says, Hey, look, be careful what you pin your hopes and your dreams on. Because not only will it not simply satisfy, but it might just evaporate. And that's scary enough. It's like chasing the wind. So to summarize what Solomon is saying, he says, I can save you so much time. Don't spend your one and only life 
in 70, the 70 years you may have to work at this stuff on distractions? Because I've been there. I've done it. And it's not filling that void that I have. I'm going to jump ahead to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 12 as he's finishing, as he's been going through this process. He says in verse 13, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. Saying fear God. God is bigger than all these things. That's why we've got to fear him. Not fear him, run away from him. Fear him because you want a God to be a God. <laughs> That's bigger than all these things. Not a baby God. Not a, not a thing God, a chasing God. Fear God. Let him love you. Obey his commandments. Love him and he'll love you back. Let him love others through you. That's what will fill you up. This is the only place you'll find satisfaction, friends, to fill that void. So a question for you guys all. Where will you spend your last days on this earth? You ever thought about that? I'm going to tell you where most of us will spend our last days on this earth, and that's in a hospital bed in a room. And I have had the fortunate privilege and the unfortunate privilege to sit beside many, many people in the last moments, in the last days, here on this earth, while they lay in a hospital bed. And 100% of the time, 100%, you know what they care about? Am I right with God? And am I right with family? It's nothing else. 100% of the time, these people that I sit next to, am I right with God? And am I right with family? That's what matters. I've never, ever had someone go, can you send someone to the bank and fill up a briefcase and bring it to me full of all of my money so I can just hold on to it when I die? (laughs) I've never seen someone, can you send someone to go get my BMW and have it washed and park in the parking lot so I can just stare at it when I pass away? It's never happened. Am I right with God? And am I right with my family? What have I done here? What have I chased after? What have I invested into? I've had people who've really gotten it. And that room is full. And they're celebrating a life. Because they made time for God. And they made time for their family. And they're there with them. And they know where they're going. And unfortunately, I've sat there next to people. And I'm the only one in the room. Because they haven't made time for God because they've been chasing more. They've made a lot of money. They've done a lot of things for people. But they've also neglected their family in that process. And as they lay there and tell me that i got to figure out how to get right with God and my family's not even here, I have to look at them and say, yeah, you missed that one. Love them through it that moment. Don't chase the wind. Am I right with God? Am I right with my family? Let's get back to the story as we finish. Luke, verse 14, says, After Craig had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country. He began to be in need, so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach. He was so hungry for the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. So when he came to his senses, this is it. This is the important piece. 
when he came to his senses and he realized it wasn't about the squeegees, it wasn't about stocking the shelf, it was bigger than that. When he came to his senses, this is an attitude change, not a life change. He's just come to his senses. How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I'm starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and sinned against you. and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. And the lens of scripture takes us to the point in his head as he's sitting there saying, what am I going to say to my dad? They've got it better off. I don't even need the shirt. I don't even want the shirt. I will just stay in the shed out back by the oil and the tires. Just let me go home. I want a home to go to. I've come to my senses. I've been distracted chasing after something that I thought was more, and it was all right there in front of me. It's not filling my heart. Rehearsing over and over and again in his head, what is this? Dad, I've ruined everything. Everything you've worked for. I've ruined the family business. I've taken it. I've got an empty cardboard box. I haven't put anything in my stomach in weeks. I'm just jumping from hotel to hotel. As he finally wakes, makes his way to the highway and thumbs it. He hears the diesel truck pull up and says, not in my cab, you can get in the back. He starts heading that direction over and over again, rehearsing what he's going to say to his dad. I've sinned against you. I've messed up. I've hurt our family. As he pulls up, the man drops him off. He hops out, emaciated, cheeks are sucked in, dragging an old beat up doesn't even look like himself. His dad's in the gas station there going shelves, pumps, shelves, pumps, just like he normally does. And it's that inkling in your head that all of a sudden you realize there's something that kind of caught my eye, something I recognize that's me and mine. He recognizes his walk. Not him. He's a mess. He's been distracted. And without hesitation, he doesn't go around the counter. He jumps over the counter, knocking down the stuff, not stopping to pick it up like Pops normally does, and runs out to meet him as he comes around that corner, heading to the gas station. He knows it's it's getting ready to happen, so Craig's getting down, ready for that to come down, because Dad's got his hands up in the air like he's just going to come down on him. He's been dead to him. And as he runs up to him, he throws that hand around the back of his neck and embraces him like he had seen him for the first time. Craig's sitting there crying, trying to figure out how to spit it out. Dad, I've ruined everything. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against our family. I don't know what to do. I've taken everything. I've got an empty box. He can feel his father's tears falling on top of his head, and his father speaks over him. It says in the Bible, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to the father, I've sinned against heaven I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, he spoke over him, quick, bring the best robe, put a shirt back on with his name on there, put a ring on his finger, put shoes and sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. We're going to serve nachos. (laughs) Let's have a feast to celebrate. Everyone's getting free gas right now. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Are you distracted? Are you satisfied? Are you chasing the wind? 
Would you bow your heads? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.